Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 73, Series Finales with Closure. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's another discussion topic here with Mike and Dave, my favorite ones of the month uh, to record. And this one's a good one that was suggested to us by a listener on the Facebook group. Uh, we apologize, Linda. We know we <laughs> didn't see it the first time you posted about it, but we were grateful for that reminder that you posted for us that you had suggested this series finales with closure and we're not going to do the other one. She actually suggested two series finales with closure and series finales without closure. But don't you feel Dave, that might be piling on to the ones that we're being critical of. Well, yeah. And, which we and, want to avoid. <laughs> well, right. And in a lot of cases, those shows didn't know that what turns yeah. out to be the series finale was the series finale. So, you know, it's difficult to criticize. Yeah, that's true. In that case. Yeah, you could only be critical if they knew they were going to end and they botched it. <laughs> right, but we are not going to talk about Lost. We are not going to talk nope. about Battlestar Galactica. Are you going to talk about Lost? No, no. But uh, here's the thing. Battlestar Galactica still makes, if you if you Google like best series finales, Battlestar Galactica still makes those top lists. And I love it. I love the Lost <laughs> ending. I like the Battlestar Galactica better than Lost, but still, I like them both. I mean, it's not genre, but we're not going to have the Sopranos on our list either. <laughs> Those famous ones. And I know you're not there yet, but my wife and I just finished Mad Men. And I just, through the course of my reading the last day, the ending of that series was very divisive in the fan oh, community really? at the time. And yeah, I haven't gotten that far yet. Right. Oh, yeah, interesting. But I love it. It's one of those. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'll shut up at this <laughs> we point. Could, we could rattle off all kinds of non-genre. Uh, the Americans, for example, one of my favorite series finales, but but within genre, it's not that they're more rare. It's just that I think it was a fairly easy task for us to come up with our favorites. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what the listeners came up with in this discussion topic on Facebook, because um, there are a lot to choose from. But I feel like we all came up, both of us came up with choices that immediately occurred to us. And I do, in fact, want to issue one spoiler warning about Dave's first topic that he's going to discuss, which is the series finale of Killjoys, which happened recently enough that if you haven't watched the entirety of the final fifth season of Killjoys yet, you might want to just hit the fast forward button about four minutes after we begin, because um, if you're planning on watching that and you want to come back to it, that's fine. And in fact, most of the shows other than that, we're not necessarily going to get, um, I mean, most of them are beyond the statute of limitations, but if you hear us start to mention a show that you want to not be spoiled on the series finale, uh, just skip ahead about four minutes because that's about the length of each of our six discussion topic uh, items. So just wanted to say that ahead of time. But this is a television series finales that provided closure. And as we mentioned in our podcast at the very end of our Undone discussion, which had a great season finale that left things kind of open-ended, our definition of series finales that provide closure paradoxically does appear, if this list is any indication, to include a certain amount of open-endedness, 
which I found very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned Killjoy, so I'm going to go ahead and start there. It was part of a trilogy of the Sci-Fi Network's space dramas. It ran for five seasons, 50 episodes between 2015 and 2019. And I think of all the shows we're going to talk about here, this is one that I find it almost impossible to believe any fan went away disappointed. Oh, that's good to hear, because I personally have not seen the end, but I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to be spoiled. Right. Now, certainly <laughs> Shippers received some attention during the series run, but it, it really wasn't a major aspect of the overall narrative. I mean, Dutch hooks up with Davin at first, and that's seemingly a friends with benefits situation, but it evolves into something far more meaningful. But at series end, they acknowledge their love for each other. And, oh, good. <laughs> and, I, and I think everybody can be happy with that. And, uh, you know, in a sense, Johnny and the ship's AI, Lucy, have long engaged in a relationship. So, you know, when Dutch gifts Lucy to Johnny for the duration of his one year walkabout, I mean, it per- makes perfect sense. And how can you not like that? It puts a smile on everybody's face. Anila resurfaces, renews her relationship with the changed for the better and and arguably my favorite character delsea kendry who will presumably now raise jack together and yeah i'm not crazy about pip's resurrection but at least zeph gets a second chance at love and again they were two great characters but the season's big bad interestingly is not destroyed though reasonably contained, and while that might be construed as a problem, it does leave open the window for later opportunities. So it's one of those things that, and I'm seeing it in Van Helsing, where the character's having a, a moral awakening that, you know, maybe killing is not always the answer. Maybe there's another approach we can take it, and that seems to be what we see at the end, and then we get that final scene of Johnny, Dutch, and Davin heading into one last fight. And and visually and narratively, it could not be more perfect. So the series ends. Everybody's happy. Nobody of consequence dies. And the storyline could be revisited. And it would all make perfect sense if they choose to go that route, which they probably will not but you know you never know i think it's less about being able to revisit the show as it is allowing the viewer to use their imagination to think of what might happen next and just being able to explore that and boy wouldn't it be great if we had had a sixth season this is what might have happened and the fact that all of your characters got a reward of some sort is what provides the closure whereas the open-endedness provides satisfaction right (laughs) you know and that's actually going to play true for a couple of the different examples. So I'm glad you brought that up heading into another fight as the series ends actually allows us to think of our heroes as continuing to be heroes. Right. And you could argue they should have just destroyed the lady, but they didn't. They showed, uh, I don't even know if it's really compassion, but sort of understanding of another alien being. And, And again, maybe there's another way. Very cool. I'm actually glad and I don't feel like I've lost anything 
having not seen the finale yet, I still, I think I'll still be able to enjoy it given what you, what you told me. In fact, I might even enjoy it more knowing that that's coming, but I'm going to start with uh, one that I think that people who have listened to my other podcasts would know that if I didn't start with this as the best series finale ever, they would riot (laughs) because they know, I know that my favorite finale of all time and probably will hold this record for a long time is 12 monkeys, which had four seasons, 46 episodes on sci-fi. It's near and dear to my heart. I was able to visit the set twice, which is the only time I've ever been able to do that for any show. Got to talk to all the different cast members but it's not just because of my personal contact with the show that I, that I got satisfaction. It's this perfect finale, just being able to take a time travel show, which should be the hardest kind of show to give a satisfying ending because you can nitpick and say, Oh, but they forgot about this little piece or that little piece. But it's just so remarkable that the finale, which was called the beginning, just as the first episode of season four was called the end. And it just, wrapped things up certainly, but it also kept with the pattern that had been set by the previous seasons because each season widened the scope of what the team of protagonists in the show were trying to accomplish. They had to stop the plague in season one. They had to save the primaries and stop the red forest from coming into being in season two. They had to save Cassie and redeem their child, Ethan in season three, who they thought at the time to be the witness And then in season four, they had to eliminate the witness and the cycles that were appearing in all these different seasons by the end of season four. So each season had an ever widening circle of causality that played out not only with what was going on in the show uh, in the context of their reality, but also narratively, they, they were able to kind of give closure, a full circle kind of feel to each season. And at the end of season four, they pulled it back to the very beginning of season one. So that's no easy task, I don't think. Well, no. And to be truthful, you make it sound easier to understand than I think most of us (laughs) found at the time. Yeah. And of course, I'm speaking in broad strokes anyway because of that, because it can get kind of confusing. But in the end, it was learned that the mere existence of our main protagonist, Cole, was wrapped up in the existence of time travel. And I won't explain the, the uh, ins and outs of that, but basically he was the one that caused the snake to eat its own tail, the Ouroboros of time to get all knotted up. And so the only way to unknot it, to bring the whole thing crashing down to defeat the M- enemy and restore time to its natural flow was to eliminate Cole from all points in history so that his existence never happened. And therefore none of the things that sprang from his existence ever happened either. So you had this profound moment of sacrifice that was built up, built up, built up, not only in the finale, but the episode right before it as well. And in addition to that, you had the finale, including huge reveals like the identity of the source corpse, where the virus was first harvested from an ancient corpse found in Tibet or something like that. And you had multiple surprise resurrections of characters brought about through time travel and they still in the end managed to leave a loophole through which Cole and Cassie were able to get their happy ending and, and be together without making that sacrifice that he made completely meaningless. I don't know how they did that to be honest, 
But, you know, all their companions were able to retain their memories of what once was, even though they were now in a happier version of history. Just flawless ending. I mean, I don't think anybody could make it any better. And they even admitted, the writers did, that they left open an interpretation for those who were a little bit more pessimistic that perhaps that happy ending that we see is just basically the red forest coming into being and they're trapped in it forever in a moment of timelessness that doesn't really have any beginning or end. And obviously most of us choose to go with the happy version, but just the fact that they were able to fit so much into that finale speaks to its brilliance. And and the reason that I will probably have it at the top of my list of series finales for a long time to come, if not forever. And what you mentioned, which is so difficult for the writers to do, so often in these time travel tales, they go back and change things. And what happens is certain characters lose memories of certain events that other characters still retain. And and as you say, that's not necessarily the case here. Right. And that can become problematic. We'll be talking about The Good Place next week, where people lose memories sometimes. And and sometimes that really has far-reaching consequences. So, yeah, that's that's a tough thing to avoid. And I think um, pretty much all the pitfalls were avoided in the 12 Monkeys series finale. So, All right, well, let's move to another time travel show, and that is Travelers, which appeared on Showcase and then later for its final season on Netflix. Three seasons, 34 episodes total. And the ending here, I don't want to necessarily say it was divisive, but I'm not certain everybody was totally happy with it. I'm certainly not a fan of the, and I'm making air quotes, the season was all a fever dream of one of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's certainly no Bob Newhart waking up in bed with Suzanne Pochette <laughs> at the end of Traveler's season three run, but this time travel show opts for a timeline reboot that puts two of our favorite characters in a position to have another go at a relationship that they kind of mucked up the first time around. And I'm of course speaking about David and Marcy and we get that final scene where they meet seemingly for the first time again in the backseat of a cab. And I understand that some viewers see that as a cheat by the writers. I don't necessarily see it that way because uh, of course we know the director who is at the heart of all of this just does a reboot itself because of course the director is an AI in the future. So essentially in this finale, we see Mac sacrifice himself by going back in time to establish a new timeline in which the director hasn't made the same mistakes we see in version 1.0. So in terms of a finale, again, one of the most important characters, and I think for a lot of people, Mac was their favorite character, and I certainly get that. I really loved him as well, but yet he's willing to sacrifice himself to make things different or hope that they will be different because none of this is a short thing. And Like I mentioned before, a a lot of time travel is built around the premise, we're going to go back in time to fix things to prevent this dark future and the world that we've just come from. And of course, that's the premise in Travelers and, you know, that's what he's doing. But 
on the one hand, we do have to accept that on one level, the events of the 34 episodes we just watched for all intents and purposes never occurred. I mean, yeah, that was one of the most problematic pieces for me. And you had to accept the tragedy of Mac not necessarily getting together with Kat, even though David and Marcy, we presume, eventually ended up together. So, you know, tragedy is part of it. So I can go with maybe Mac and Kat not getting together. But when you undo every single thing that formed the characters of every other person besides Mac, that can get a little dicey in terms of satisfaction. I mean, I agree that Travelers should be on this list. It, it had a great amount of closure. In fact, I don't think they could have recovered from the corner they painted themselves into in terms of having undone everything from the previous seasons. Like, what were they going to do if they had had another season? So in that sense, it's great that it closed. Well, right. And I guess on the one hand as well, you can look at the fact that if 1.0 had not happened and gone the way it had, well, the director would have had no reason oh, yeah, to yeah. then reboot. And, and so that in, in that sense, it, it needed to happen. It did have meaning. And as you said, yeah, it did have to happen. And then, of course, we've got the alternate timelines. And I go back to Philip, who, as a historian, was able to see, he saw it as a curse, and I understand why, <laughs> yeah. alternate timelines. And we assume the other historians could see that as well it had to do with the medication they were supposed to be taking but it gave you that happy ending seeing david and marcy in the back of the cab meeting again for the first time she's not intellectually challenged this time the way she was the first time there's going to be none of that specter of him taking advantage of the person who he was the caseworker for so Yes, Mac sacrifices himself, but as you said, there there has to be tragedy. It, it can't just be complete happy endings all around. Exactly. And I think this is especially true of a show that only got to have three seasons because people are going to be upset no matter how well you wrap things up. And the same thing happened with Defiance, which I almost had on my list. You know, there was a lot of open-endedness at the end of Defiance as well, but a lot of satisfaction not only wrapping up that season's arc, but also giving a reboot of sorts to what might've happened had there been another season. So when you only have three seasons of a show, you do have to have a certain amount of open-endedness in order to satisfy those people that are disappointed. All right. Well, you're going to go on a couple shows that uh, <laughs> didn't have that problem. I <laughs> did not have that problem. They, they had more <laughs> than enough episodes. Yeah, as is going to be your topic as well. So that's that's an interesting uh, tie-in for our second half of the discussion. But I couldn't decide between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Buffy had seven seasons of 144 episodes, and Angel had five seasons of 110 episodes. So plenty of material to work with, plenty of time to achieve closure. And, you know, Buffy had a problematic seventh season. There's no doubt about it. And I would give the slight edge to Angel in terms of having a satisfying ending, even though it only had five seasons. But Buffy had more closure than Angel did, whereas Angel had that great open-ended ending that left a lot up to the imagination of the viewer, which, again, the audience provides their own closure when you have an open-ended ending. So 
It might seem a strange choice since, since both Buffy and Angel ended with huge battles between the forces of good and the minions of hell. Not unlike what you mentioned with Killjoys, they were heading off into one more battle, probably one of the biggest they've ever been in. <laughs> but the implication, of course, is that there's always that after this, things will be either a whole lot better or a whole lot worse. And it's up to us, the viewer, to decide which one we want to go with. And that's what provides closure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, I'm wearing my Team Spike t-shirt. Nice. <laughs> so speaking of Spike, <laughs> in Buffy's finale, which was known as Chosen, the anchor that really gave this episode closure was the sacrifice made by Spike, who acted as champion with the help of, I think it was an amulet that was given to him by Angel, brought it over from Wolfram and Hart, because of course Angel was airing side by side with Buffy at this point. And this amulet linked to Spike's poor, you know, maligned soul that kind of made him a tragic uh, figure and just made him into such a, a great character to have to sacrifice himself. Cause of course you didn't want everyone to die. And there certainly was a lot of death at, at the end of Buffy, but you know, that one really was worth it. I feel like, because even though the finale featured a kiss between Buffy and angel, it was sealed with this tragic perfection by Buffy saying to Spike as he's sacrificing himself, I love you to which Spike responds. No, you don't, but thanks for saying it. Oh, heartbreaking. (laughs) One of the most memorable lines from a finale ever. And uh, I know Buffy fans out there almost probably could have said that right along with me as they were listening to the podcast, but angel was no slacker either. The, the finale not fade away has a similar ending phrase that was quite memorable, which I think we even mentioned on this podcast before, because as Angel convinces his team that they must take out every member of the Circle of the Black Thorn in a defiant and quite possibly futile stand against the senior partners of Wolfram and Hart, he simply says to them, let's get to work, as you know, thousands of evil creatures prepared to descend upon them. So it's just such a perfect will they win or will they die kind of moment that the viewer has only themselves to blame really if they choose to leave with the unsatisfying version of the answer to that question. You know, it's like, of course we're going to think, well, but they could have won, you know, right now, you know, I haven't gotten to angel yet other than the first couple episodes, but, but as you know, I came to Buffy late and, and did finish season seven, maybe a month or two ago And I really like season six and season seven. I know a lot of the fan community at the time had problems with it, but I really enjoyed the the dark aspect of of both seasons. Oh, yeah. Well, season six, I I really loved. Yeah, season seven, I was kind of iffy on at the time, I remember. But it didn't matter because I felt like it did a good job of wrapping it up under tough circumstances in terms of how that those seasons were being aired and the network was kind of messing with things as well. So they made the best out of the cards that they were dealt and you know, no one does a finale like Joss Whedon. And and I feel like almost the Killjoys ending is almost modeled after endings like this. Well, at least Joss didn't have to deal with a Kickstarter campaign that (laughs) demanded they refilm the final two seasons the way Game of Thrones had to. And that's what I want to talk about. Uh, Game of Thrones, eight seasons, 73 episodes on HBO. 
And I don't understand, and I know we covered this in, in one of our podcasts on Sci-Fi Fidelity, don't understand the hate and vitriol for seasons seven and eight, especially eight. But that said, uh, winter finally arrives in Westeros. And I guess the question, do we receive closure? And I I guess that depends on who you talk to. I really (laughs) love the ending. Well, here's the thing. I think it depends on how deep you have gone into it. Like how, how much are you into the super minute details of the show? Because you can't argue that season eight didn't provide closure. You just would be able to argue, well, it didn't provide closure in all the ways I wanted. And that's not necessarily the goal when it comes to being a writer of a massive epic show like this. Well, yeah. And I mentioned this in one of my reviews for Van Helsing, I think last week, that so often critics judge a show by what they think it should be rather than what it is. And, and as you said, you know, these writers are artists creating art. You might not like their art, but you know, you don't get to say how they, I mean, (laughs) it's not your choice. Right. Um, I I mean, we look at the finale, Uh, the night King has been defeated. Daenerys dies at the hand of the man she loves and loves her Jon Snow. And, we finally have someone to occupy the Iron Throne that enjoys at least a moderate consensus. And, and yeah. I know there's a lot of arguments there. I mean, Danny's death caused an uproar on the interweb, as did her final act to torch King's Landing and virtually everyone in it. Well, here's the thing. You know, people want a certain type of ending. It's like, this is effing Shakespearean. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and I think I told you, I went back and binge watched all eight seasons with my wife right after season eight ended. So I really did get to look at all of these things people were criticizing it for. And I'm not sure how valid a lot of the arguments were. I mean, they feel like Danny's act here was out of character. I don't see that. That's and, the biggest and, one I have an argument with. That's well, and, and obviously we're not going to get into that discussion <laughs> <laughs> right here. Um, you know, in the end, Brandon Stark, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven, is chosen to rule the Seven Kingdoms and sit on the Iron Throne. And That one I'm wondering what kind of iffy about, but okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, some were disappointed Sansa wasn't chosen. And truth be told, she was my choice going into the final. But yeah, Bran's a solid choice. Who else were they going to pick? I mean, not to mention the decision that he makes that everybody agrees to about how the next king will be chosen. And I love the the little exchange when they're like laughing and making fun <laughs> yeah. of the fact that oh, this sounds like democracy. Let the people choose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. uh, and then there's Jon Snow, whose murder of Daenerys raises another set of issues. And he's this close to being executed, but his sentence gets commuted to having him sent back to the wall and the night's watch. But that final scene is certainly open to interpretation. Does he simply abandon the brothers of the night's watch to go live with the wildlings? Is he merely accompanying them as they return to their lands? I mean, is he in fact simply on patrol? We don't know. And the same could be true of Arya. Right. You know, where she headed. <laughs> yeah. And and that's why I love this. I mean, Arya gets on a ship 
to go to a land that you know nobody sails that way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go and see what's out there. And and John, I really believe he's going to live with the wildlings. But yeah, and see that's the thing. And I I, I keep harping on this, but it's like Mike and Dave. This episode is called Finales with Closure. That story didn't end. It's like, but yeah, but you're providing it. You you can have like a couple of things to give so and so a happy ending, so and so a tragic ending like I said, in a Shakespearean fashion, because that's a satisfying ending as well. And then leave certain things open so that the viewer can still go, Oh, imagine where they're headed and what they're going to be doing next. That's that also provides closure because it allows you to keep going on your own. Right. And can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. I don't really feel as if science fiction and genre fans demand to have the ending wrapped in wrapping paper and tied with a bow yeah what are they gonna do like wave at the camera as it backs off into the sunset i mean yeah yeah it doesn't work that way but i'll tell you i had forgotten about this last one that i am bringing up on the list until i was doing my own research and i thought oh yeah star trek the next generation had a finale that at the time there was just nothing like it and it plays so perfectly into the fact that Star Trek Picard is coming back. So if you've seen Star Trek, the next generation, you, you know what, what I'm talking about. This is another one that had seven seasons to get it right. 178 episodes. And they certainly had their ups and downs, especially at first, but what's so brilliant about all good things, the series finale of Star Trek, the next generation is that it actually uses the problematic pilot as part of a way to bring things full circle. So you would think they wouldn't be able to kind of redeem the encounter at Farpoint, (laughs) which was set off a a very rocky season one for the show. But all good things bounces between three timelines. You've got the past taking us back to the pilot. You've got the present, which is taking place on the ship, of course, with the crew dealing with their own issues. And then, of course, you've got the future in which we're able to see Picard in retirement having a problem that's causing him to have some memory loss. And this all-powerful trickster Q, one of the greatest characters in the show, one of my favorites for sure, played by John Delancey, he returns to bookend the show. So it's kind of interesting how they framed this because just like with Undone that we talked about last week, you could think that maybe some of this storytelling is because Picard's demented mind is skipping around in his own memory. And so that's why that narrative style exists. Or you could just say, well, Q is making Picard experience this because he wants to have this one last test for humanity. So really kind of a cool way to do it and explain the way that we're jumping around in the story ourselves. And of course, you never got this far, Dave, but you know a little bit about what uh, Star Trek Picard is going to be about with the elder Picard. Oh, right. And and certainly what Q is all about, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we've got a little bit of detail in the finale that tells us that Picard had a failed marriage to Dr. Crusher, but he's in happy retirement from the military, spent some time as a civil servant, as an ambassador. But the great thing about telling it that way is that maybe they could use some of these details from the finale in Star Trek Picard, you know, you might have the fact that he was an ambassador or that he was married to Dr. Crusher. They certainly have shown in the, in the previews for Star Trek Picard, the fact that he ran a vineyard 
in his retirement, you know, worked the land himself. So that's really kind of cool. But it also is just great, like I said, because it called back to the pilot. It hinted at the future. So it gave the viewers something to latch onto there. And it, it implied that the Enterprise was going to keep going. There was a continuing adventure in the present as the show went out, the episode went out with the crew playing cards with data kind of dealing the deck with his, you know, his little green poker dealers visor on and just having fun, you know? So you got to see what Picard might experience in the future. He even ran into, I think Jordi LaForge visited him in the future. You had, you know, a happy times on the enterprise and you had Q backing off kind of conceding that humanity would deserve to continue on kind of as his favorite pet of sorts to continue the adventure. So there were all different ways you could come at that finale. And of course there were many spinoffs that showed up on UPN right after Star Trek, the next generation went off the air, but we always kind of were left wondering what would happen with Troy and, and Riker and all the rest of them. And it looks like we might get that chance when CBS all access gives a Star Trek Picard. So oh, I think they most certainly <laughs> will. So I think this finale will definitely have a chance to, give us a little bit more and then you can see how it fits with your own interpretation of that finale way back then and whether the uh, new version satisfies or fits with your picture of what happened after the ending, after that satisfying ending. And before we go on to our listener contributions, I do want to give an honorable mention because there might be some listeners out there that say, Mike and Dave, how could you leave off continuum? (laughs) (laughs) Because of course that's how we got started in the podcasting business. And you know, we did have continuum giving Kira her son back in a very tragic way because it was at the expense of allowing her son, Sam to continue his life with another version of herself. But there were so many other things about season four that they had to rush that I felt like, eh, I don't know if it gets to make the list because of that, but you can't argue that Continuum had a kick-ass pilot and a kick-ass finale. <laughs> yeah, right. And again, we remember that it took forever to find out whether we were going to get a season four. And then when we found out we were going to get it, it was only going to be six episodes. So they did the best with what they could. And I almost said Farscape in my honorable mention. And then I realized I was thinking of the Peacekeeper Wars movie rather than the series finale, which was atrociously cut short. Yes. (laughs) So that definitely does not get to make the list. But let's go ahead and take a listen to what our listeners came up with on the Facebook group and on social media. All right, and let's go ahead and start our feedback segment off. We had a ton of feedback on the Facebook group this time. The listeners are really stepping up their game, Dave. (laughs) Uh, They are. And, you know, the whole thing about closure, it's a very subjective (laughs) word. And, uh, you know, again, that's the beauty of television, particularly genre shows. And, and, uh, you know, I do just want to throw out there that I understand the Pittsburgh Steelers fans have started a petition to replay the game from two weeks ago with the Ravens uh, and because they didn't like the way the coach made his decisions. So no closure. Uh, you're right they're, they're getting a lot of signatures. So hopefully they'll redo that whole game. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're a Steelers fan. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I do have to say though, uh, we had a variety of people giving, you know, some obvious ones that we should have gotten. We'll start with one of those and also some repeats from the ones we picked but also even a few from non-genre shows 
which actually we mentioned a couple of as well during our discussion. But I have to start with Daryl, who said Fringe, because of course Fringe. I almost am surprised that wasn't one of my choices, and uh, it just didn't pop to the top. But it's obviously a great choice, and a few people mentioned that one. Oh, what the heck does Daryl know about Fringe? (laughs) Yeah, what is he, some type of expert? Yeah. And, uh, of course, Benita brought up 12 Monkeys, which was one of our choices, and Stuart brought up Continuum. No surprise there, but obviously that was one of our honorable mentions. Yeah, and I really love the Continuum end. I think you did as well. And I know there are some people out there that found it a little bittersweet, but that's what I loved about it. Exactly. All right, so Joe checked in and he said, it's been a long time, but I seem to recall Star Trek The Next Generation wrapping up pretty well. To which Michael Keller replied, it ended with a two-part Q episode. What more could you want? (laughs) Exactly. And obviously that was one of our choices as well for this podcast. Then Brian chimed in with the obvious uh, battle starter, which is Lost. And he said, fight me, because obviously that's a controversial one. But Faith agreed. And Faith chimed in with her own choices. She said, Buffy Roswell, the original, of course, since the other one is still going, I believe. Warehouse 13, she liked that one, and Futurama, all great choices. Yeah, and I've gone on record. I love the lost ending. Obviously, I came to Buffy late, but again, what what a wonderful ending to a seven-season series. Exactly. All right, now, David brought up Babylon 5, which is a show I still haven't watched. So, David, I'm going to take your word for it, but you've seen it, right? Yeah, and that was the plan. You know, J. Michael Straczynski had the five-year plan, one of the first showrunners to do that. Yeah, uh, I I mentioned a podcast uh, on the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch where they're doing a lost retrospective. It's published by Sci-Fi Wire, and they they talk about they don't want to hear a showrunner come out at the beginning and say, yeah, I got a five-year plan. Yeah. Because it never works out that way. Exactly. But, it's become know. a bit of a trope now. Yeah. Uh, Maria mentioned 12 Monkeys, Buffy, Babylon 5. Steve mentioned Killjoys, which is certainly something that I talked about in the podcast. That's right. A couple of people put that one on there, even though it's a relatively recent series finale. In fact, Kevin Batchelder chimed in with Killjoys. He said, I've noticed that over the past few years for me, it usually comes down to how well they handle the character relationships. I want closure for the characters that I love. The story becomes very secondary to me. Two shows that I loved, Killjoys and iZombie, had storylines in their final seasons that I wasn't all that engaged in. However, by that point, it was all about spending time with the characters that I loved. So that was a good way to put it because um, iZombie, apparently, I think Faith was kind of going back and forth with Kevin on the Facebook group about whether that had a truly satisfying ending. But yeah, sometimes it's all about the characters. Uh, Richard brings up Timeless, which after being canceled twice. Managed to wrap up with that two-hour finale. <laughs> yeah. Primeval ran three seasons and left a massive cliffhanger. Several years later, was revived for two more seasons and ended with closure, possibly an open door to continue. And Richard also sparked a heated debate over the ending of Quantum Leap, which is, again, another show I've got to get back to. I saw the early seasons back then, but it's been a long time. That finale is definitely an interesting one to use the word closure with, but but Richard definitely uh, sparked an interesting discussion on the Facebook group. Uh, Richard also had a bunch of other choices. He had Dollhouse. He had Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Prisoner, 
and Life on Mars, which is a great choice. I definitely agree with that one. Plus, Richard said that the newly aired Swamp Thing had some good closure. He said they were only halfway through filming the 10-episode first season, and the first episode had just barely aired when it was announced that it was being canceled. They retooled the last few minutes of the 10th episode to allow it to end, but also left it open-ended in case another network picks it up. So that sounds like it must have been a very skillful bit of closure that they tried to give to the viewers who were just starting to get into that show. So thanks, Richard, for all those great choices. Okay. Uh, Carolyn brings up Killjoys and Continuum. Barb mentions Fringe. Barb, I'm shocked. Fringe? (laughs) Uh, Breaking Bad, Lost, Orphan Black. Yeah, Orphan Black. We were wondering how they were going to bring that to a close, and I really liked it. The Americans, and that brings up again on the Facebook group, and it might've been Aaron Peterson making (laughs) a case for breaking bad as being science fiction. I'd love to see you try there. Yeah. (laughs) Science. Okay. Yeah. A little science, but not so much science fiction. And she put the Americans in there too, which I I actually mentioned earlier in the podcast as well as one of my favorite non-genre shows that had a great, great, great series finale. But Michael Keller was contrary and shared his least no. favorite endings. <laughs> Michael's never controversial. But yeah, actually, and we, of course, mentioned that Linda originally suggested we do both those with closure and those without closure. But we decided just to go with the positive one. But Michael brought up a couple of very obvious examples, Battlestar Galactica and Game of Thrones, actually, both of which I disagree that they didn't have good closure. But in fact, Game of Thrones was one of your choices, right? Yes. So Aaron also disagreed uh, before he brought up his non-genre examples. He said that he liked the Battlestar Galactica ending, one of the few that did, um, along with Dave and I. But he did add Psych 24 and Breaking Bad, and I figured I'd give them a mention even though they were not genre. But I just appreciated that so many of our podcasting friends, some of many of our former listeners from earlier podcasts of ours, and new listeners to the Sci-Fi Fidelity podcast chimed in on this discussion topic. And I hope that continues because I love being able to share all the different choices that Dave and I missed and also just didn't have room for since we had to pare it down to six. Yeah. Linda, great choice, man. Keep them coming. Exactly. Thank you for some great suggestions for these discussion topics. And we'll be back in about a month with another one. All right. Thank you very much to those of you who contributed some of their own shows to our list of shows that had great series finales and great closure. But what do we got coming up next? That's also nearing its series finale this year, Dave. Yeah. Season four of the good place is going to be the final season. And we're going to take a look at the first four episodes, which it's a, not a Netflix show. I mean, the early seasons are on Netflix now, but uh, you got to watch them one week at a time. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it's really off to a great start. Now, you say, are we going to do the first three episodes and then put the fourth one in the spoiler zone, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> that, yes, exactly. That might be wise. Right. <laughs> yeah, because it will have, will have just aired by the time we get back to you next Sunday, because I believe the fourth episode is airing this Thursday. So those of you who are, have kept up with The Good Place should enjoy that discussion, because it's, it's a great way. And I, I have full confidence, I'm sure you do too, Dave, that the series finale for this one will also be very much satisfying. <laughs> Yes. No doubt about it. But that's next week on the podcast. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. 
and we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. And be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics. And you can do that via social media or send us an email at scififidelity at gmail.com. That's right. Linda has suggested a number of our discussion topics, so definitely get in on that fun. But thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>